I want to do two in one day. I want to do the, the Trust Co. and Brandywine. And when all those fucking pigs are coming after me, I want to split out the back. I want to go down to Rotterdam, and I want to do that first national. You know something, Luke? If you ride like lightning, you're going to crash like thunder. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 104, The Place Beyond the Pines. This was one that I really have been wanting to get to for a while, so I'm, I'm pretty happy that we're doing it. Yeah, we're just marching through Matt picks right now. Absolutely. But we're running out. I was so in on this director, Derek C. in France, or however you say it. We saw Blue Valentine in the theaters, loved it. I was like, this is my kind of movie. <laughs> then he follows it up with this, and I was like, Blo- I loved this movie. This was my favorite movie of 2013, and then or whatever year it came out. <laughs> but now recently, or most recently, he did that movie, A Light Between Oceans or whatever, which I watched, but I was like, really not, not the same for me. So I'm kind of hoping that he comes back and does some other cool stuff because... I thought this was like a really cool, unique, fun movie. There's a lot going on, a lot to digest, a lot to talk about. I, I see that you have a notebook full of notes, so I'm assuming we're going to have a little bit to talk about on this episode. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Every time we kind of reference the length of an episode, it never quite pans out. It always sounds like, what are they talking about? Because oh, right. then by the yeah. end of the episode, it's like it's not that long. Or, or like we've had to cut half-hour <laughs> chunks out of it. But this one could be our longest episode. People are like thinking about ones that they've listened to, and they're like, wow, they cut a half hour out of that, and this is the stuff they kept in? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So let's just get it out of the way. Follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, and continue to support us. And Just all you need to do is download it and tell people about us. You don't need to do anything else. Yeah, that's it. I <laughs> that's mean, it's it. really not that when hard. When I say I support, I don't mean money. Yeah. God and, forbid. You know, keep your criticisms to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't gotten over the fact that someone said the Adventureland episode was boring. That was like three years ago. <laughs> As we pointed out, this is a Matt pick. It's uh, Derek C. and Francis' 2012 follow-up to Blue Valentine. Oh, 2012. Well... Or whatever. You weren't wrong, though, because we didn't really get it until well into 2013. There's always, like, one or two of those that we have to discuss when putting together, like, the, the top ten of for the us, year. This, for us, it would count as 2013. It's an ambitious American crime epic spanning multiple generations, a film about fathers and sons and choices and the long-term ramifications of those choices, 
And I would say that this most the recent things you pass along. Yeah, this most recent screening for me, I think it hit me the hardest. I think this is the most I've been into it. I've liked it right off the bat the first time I saw it, but I think I just really had a, a big connection with the movie this time. I found myself choking up. Oh, yeah. Emotional. <laughs> I found that for Blue Valentine and this, I was like, wow, this director really has a knack for making actors look really trashy, but in a good way. <laughs> Even when you get to the second act of the movie or whatever and Bradley Cooper's in it, I was like, wow, this is like different than he's ever looked to me. Not that he looked trashy, but it just, he looked more like a normal person. (laughs) As opposed to what? In that third act, you get like, oh yeah, there's the sharp looking Bradley Cooper. I don't know. Okay. There's something there. Well, the title of the film comes from the Mohawk origin of the word Schenectady which roughly translated to English means place beyond the pine plains. The movie is set in Schenectady and was primarily filmed there, which is always fun. Right. Yeah. So I have some roots in upstate New York. I'm pretty far from Schenectady, but I mean, the name of the town resonates with me. This little fucking shitty festival that it opens up in. I probably attended some (laughs) uh, iteration of that. On the audio commentary, Sam France was kind of talking about this being kind of a version of the last American town kind of thing, which, you know, not that Schenectady is the last American town, but, you know, that idea that there's not a Home Depot every two blocks and there's not, a you know what I mean? It's very old school Americana rural town kind of thing where it's not. I've spent some time in some of these towns. Yeah, it's not taken over by all the different huge things or whatever they were really you know trying to go for that look you see a lot of schenectady in the movie but you don't really see too many familiar looking oh right it's just like places the diner the woods a lot of woods yeah but imagine like you live in a town like that and eva mendez just works at the diner i would never it's like good lord at that diner the film opens essentially in 1997 for people not super familiar with the film there's basically three acts to this and Unlike most films where the act breaks aren't always easy, easily determined. Oh, yeah. it's, it's pretty, pretty clear, clear yeah. what the act breaks are here. So the film opens in what is supposed to be 1997. Long opening shot, tracking shot of Ryan Gosling. Handsome a, Luke and the heartthrobs. Yeah, he's walking from like a, a trailer, which is like inconveniently far away from the actual well, performance. Off, it's tent. like that very first opening shot is just him doing the things with the switchblade and you're like geez what is going on with this guy yeah so ryan gosling is playing luke glanton he's part of a traveling circus as a motorcycle stuntman as matt said his little troupe is handsome luke and the heartthrobs we kind of just get this really long thing of him walking across the circus to get to this place and he like gets on the motorbike and then they go into that wheel of doom or whatever they call it. Okay, right. Just like a crazy now, thing that only a few people in the world can do. This whole thing, this whole little sequence here, I mean, it makes me think to when I, I was a kid and like going to these little pop-up carnival things or whatever. Years removed from it, you're just like, man, the life of a carny is just kind of a dark existence. I don't know. I mean, could be fun. That's true. <laughs> um, maybe I'll turn around on this. Well, you know, you meet some chicks in different towns. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, he's hooking up with... Well, if you look like Ryan Gosling. Right, I'm sure he does all right. 
So we fade. We kind of fade to a post-performance scene, and Eva Mendez is walking up, approaching him, just nipping hardcore. Not Seriously. even. Oh yeah. The faintest hint of a bra. Right. <laughs> Not like even the suggestion of a yeah. bra going on. I just want to take a second. Gosling suggested Mendez for the part. I guess they were friends at this point, and then they would later start to date. And this was his first move. I don't know. They got married, I guess, and they have two daughters. I think they're married. I'm not really sure. I know they have two daughters together, and they've been together since this movie, basically. But honestly, this is by far the best performance of her career. What about, like, Too Fast, Too Furious? (laughs) That's true, but... I mean, she's, like, kind of the showstopper in this as far as, like, acting goes for me. And they're all, like, really top-notch, strong performances, but she's, like, unbelievable in this movie. Yeah, I mean, she's good. Opinion. I think th- yeah, I'm with you, though. I, I think it's a lot of good acting on display here. I mean, yeah, she's in a lot of, like, weird, goofy parts like The Other Guys or Stuck on You or Too Fast, Too Furious or she has, like, a tiny, tiny part in Training Day or... right. We Own the Night, which is like a terrible movie. Yeah. So, I mean, she doesn't get a lot of opportunities to really bring it as an actress. And I think she I know, and I can remember seeing this this the first time and thinking, oh, wow, Eva Mendes, that's kind of (laughs) weird. I love it, though. It works. She's like, do you remember my name? So, right off the bat, we know. How could I possibly forget? (laughs) Yeah. I love the idea of forgetting this chick. Right. So he gives her a ride home, and she does mention that she's with somebody else now. And she says, I just wanted to see you again. But there's obviously... You're left feeling like it's a weird interaction. Yeah, there's obviously something weighing on her mind, but you're kind of just like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is going on? Although he doesn't really emote a lot either, so you're kind of left with two people... (laughs) Being weird? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously this was right dab smack in the middle of Gosling playing like these kind of brooding drive. silent characters yeah. yeah drive and only god forgives and this and even blue valentine in a way well, where yeah. he's kind of a weirdo but yeah i mean this one he's got a fucking face tattoo and he's got like all kinds of weird shitty tattoos and he's obviously a carny so you're just like what the fuck is with this dude yeah it's hard to see like a future there you kind of get why she's not really <laughs> Giving away the little secret here. But it is weird that she just shows up, though. I guess she's, like, she's compelled, she probably, but she, yeah, she kind of doesn't it. know what to say. Right. And it gets weird. So the next night, I guess Romina doesn't come to the performance at the circus, and this was going to be Luke's last night in town. So he drives over to her house, and he knocks on the door. Romina's working, but her mother answers the door holding a baby with blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and Romina's mom just kind of lets the cat out of the bag. She's oh, like, yeah. He's yours. Right. <laughs> and it is, it kind of, it's hard to put together all the pieces of their little backstory. It's like, was he only here for the carnival before? And they had like a what? A two-day fling or something? Or is it supposed yeah, to Yeah, I got the impression that this thing, this tour hit the same places at the same time of yeah, year every right. year so this was he was there a year ago she gets knocked up this baby is supposed to be only a couple of months old probably yeah something like that but i guess it's enough that the mother knows it's him on site although i guess like once eva mendez has like described him and a guy that looks like that shows up at the door <laughs> it's hard to mistake oh yeah you the one with the giant black tattoos on his face yeah i don't know i mean maybe you met her it's strange because 
we don't get a whole lot of story as to what's going on in their past because obviously we'll find out this could not have been the same house that she lived at nope. before. Right. But there's no discussion of that yet. And like you said, her mom recognizes him. So, I mean, I don't know. The baby's name is Jason. We find that out. So, yeah, I just put in my notes, nice, completely normal face tattoo, Luke. <laughs> Way to go. Yeah. And I, But I do think... It's interesting, and I do think the face tattoo is kind of important because it was Gosling's idea, and then apparently, according to C in France, Gosling regretted it immediately after one day of shooting and wanted to cut re- that. Yeah, get yeah, rid of like, like right, take it off over. and re- start over. But C in France told him that he had to keep it because the film is about living with decisions, sometimes bad or destructive decisions. Oh wow! And I do think that it kind of plays into some of the things that happen to Luke in the in the coming days when he chooses to stay in Schenectady. You think the face tattoo? Yeah. Okay. It's it's kind of symbolic of some things. So we'll get to it. So Luke okay. goes to see Romina at the diner where she works and he doesn't know what to do. He's supposed to leave in four hours. Hey, what are you doing here? Anything you want to tell me? Anything you think I might want to know before I leave here? Forever and I never come back? That's right. Come on. You're not gonna tell me? It's just a fling, right? means you don't gotta tell me. This is like a common courtesy or... There might even be a law, you know, you gotta fucking tell somebody. Haven't heard from you in over a year. Just took off, never called me. I gotta leave in four hours, I don't know what to do. You do whatever you need to do. What are you going to do? I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to school. I take care of Jason. I work here. I have a man. So that's what I'm doing. That's my life. I don't know. What does she owe him in terms of knowledge? I, I, I found this... I've I watched the film, you know, a couple times in preparation, and you always come to this kind of big moment where he's like, "Well, aren't you supposed to tell people?" Isn't there well, a his lot? way of explaining it is not great, but it's just like, but it is. It's probably against the law. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm gonna take law advice from a guy with a face <laughs> tattoo, <laughs> who's been wearing the same T-shirt for what looks like four years. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't really know what the answer is. Like, in this kind of a situation, it's like, I guess she doesn't really have to tell him. I don't know. It's her own moral decision, I guess. I mean, I feel like once she's shown up, though, at the thing and kind of made contact with him, it is kind of bad form to not tell him at that point. I feel like if you never seek him out, you've made that decision and you got to just stick with it. <laughs> it's almost like she was like, yeah, I should tell him. And then she re-saw that face tattoo and was like, you know yeah, what? This was a not. bad idea. <laughs> But I do think that her decisions here, 
Now, granted, I'm not putting any blame on her because obviously she has to look out for herself and look out for her son. And I'm not talking about her romantic life in any sense. But as far as involving Luke, the father of the child, in the child's life, it's like she's kind of already assuming the worst in him, which I think is also similarly to the face tattoo. It kind of yeah, plays I mean, into his mindset. She's right, this. by the way, to be thinking that. Yeah, a little bit. But at the same time, it's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? It's like, he kind of gets this chip on his shoulder because of some of the slights against him in his life. And her kind of treating him this way has to sting. And so that kind of forces him to do things in his own kind of fucked That's up true, way. That's true, right. Because he's trying to prove a point, not only to well, her, yeah, he but to himself. He does get very emotional and defensive, like, don't look down on me at one point. Right, yeah. And the as the movie goes on, this is one of the more interesting things to me. What her real feelings are towards him. She seems like more into him than at times I, I, I think I would have thought. Her feelings about him and about the situation in general are kind of a mystery. And if she is assuming the worst in Luke from the beginning before she even tells him about Jason, then how much of the responsibility of what happens is hers? Obviously, not as much as him because he makes all his own bad decisions. But sure. I do think that you have to at least consider the fact that she's kind of treating him shitty and giving him a raw deal without even giving him a chance. I'm not talking about him being her boyfriend. I'm talking about him just being in the kid's life at all. She's oh, I know. kind of already just assuming, like, you are a loser. But it's you a weird move after of you sort of, like, half invite him back into the picture. She kind of does this thing where it's like gives him a little bit of string and then he starts like following that string and then she's like berating him. Just enough string to hang himself. Right. Well, yeah, we see where a lot of this obviously is going to go. And so we're, we're right back where we always end up on this show where ultimately everything that happens here is the chick's fault. <laughs> when they take it from inside the diner to outside, it's a very tearful, emotional scene, a well acted scene. And I will say that just in general, and it's it's something that kind of comes across a lot in this movie, that you know the best performances you can possibly get are ones that tell you so much about the characters without really having to say all that much. Because it's not even like they really say a lot to each other in that part outside no, when they're first the, talking yes. about the kid. But I, yet you kind of get the whole story. You kind of understand everything. You're able to put it together, yeah. You get exactly what she's doing and you why she did it. You know what they're both thinking. It. You kind of get this idea that he had maybe accepted the fact that he was a loser, but now that there's this baby, he's questioning this a new whole hope. thing. Well, I don't want to be a loser now because I feel like I should be responsible for this kid. And, and it plays into this whole thing with fatherhood, which is certainly a theme in the movie where it's like, you know, he says, my dad wasn't around. Look how I turned out. I have an opportunity to, like, not let this kid turn out like me. Right. Luke ends up quitting his job as a motorcycle stuntman, and then he abruptly kind of shows up at the house. I guess it's the next morning or whatever, and we meet Kofi, played by Marshala Ali, who is now like the Moonlight. new man. Yeah, from yeah. Moonlight. He's the new man in Romina's life. Now, this is interesting because the way that he's introduced, I feel like, is sort of intimidating. It immediately kind of puts that, you know, weirdness between Gosling's character and him. But I, when I first saw this and, and we have this thing, I kind of was taking Kofi that was part of like some sort of organized crime group or something. Now, I know what you're thinking, racist, but 
I, I don't know. It just seemed like he was intimidating on a level more so than just like. All right. Well, I'm going to let that hang out there on its own because <laughs> I don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. But <laughs> the way the movie goes on, he is just like this completely normal, nice dude. Well, yeah, definitely. That plays into what I was saying about Romina assuming the worst in Luke and how much responsibility is hers is. Kofi is a good guy and does do right by Romina and Jason. But at the same time, he's kind of puffing his chest out here in this first encounter. I just think that if Romina and Kofi and you, you handled this differently like, from the beginning, a lot of this could have been avoided. Conversations, Kofi and Romina. Because like immediately Kofi's not really like surprised that he's there. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because he does say something like, how long are you around for or something? Right. It's one of the well, first uh, things he says, which is like, I don't know. It's kind of a strange thing to say, but I think that Kofi's taking this from the side of like, well, like, Luke is in town and, and is, is like inserting himself into this world that he's not only trying to have a presence in Jason's life, but that he'll try to get Romina back too, I guess. So he's kind of marking his territory in that sense. And it's right. kind of like two bulls butting heads here. But I'm just saying that if Romina and Kofi handled it differently from the beginning, that things could have maybe played out differently for everyone involved. But oh yeah, Romina brings him into this world, and it's like instantly Luke is in a really tough spot now, and it's not entirely his fault. But I also feel like, kind of going back to what I was saying a little bit, though, I feel like it's intentional that Kofi kind of seems a little intense in the beginning because it's like they want you to root for Ryan Gosling a little bit, even though really he's like the criminal. You well, know, so at this point, he's not really a criminal. Well, we don't know what he's done with that switchblade. But yeah, no, I mean, he's right. just kind of a guy who it's clear that there's been a lot of pain in his life. But now we're almost given this potential for a redemption story. He doesn't want to be a loser forever. He has a reason to not be a loser now. But things are instantly complicated. There's some obstacles. Yeah. Right. And I'm just saying that what's great about this movie is that it's not very clear cut all the time who is in the right and who is in the wrong. Because I think, like I said, I love Eva Mendez's performance in this movie and I like that character, but she's not blameless. I mean, she brings him into this, but then doesn't right. really have any, you know, notion of what could happen. You yeah. know what I mean? She it's she kind of assumed that she was going to get this off her conscience. Like she was going to be able to tell Luke that there was this child and he would be, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm leaving. And she would have been fine with that. And that's what she actually wanted to happen. And right. it didn't happen that way. And now she doesn't know how to deal with it. Now, as a viewer, the, f the first time through, I find myself being completely manipulated by all the things that are happening. Cause I am like, man, fuck this Kofi guy. Let's <laughs> get him out of the picture. Let Ryan Gosling get back in there. But it is just like, as the movie goes on, it's just kind of like it just everything isn't really maybe how you would have originally interpreted it. And I feel like that's for all of the storylines at play. So they're going to church. They're baptizing baby Jason. And this is like a really rough scene for Luke because this is what I was talking about with the face tattoo. Oh, and yeah. The ripped clothing and the dirty clothes and. He walks into this church like and he maybe is this like was a mistake, a scumbag. Right. And he does like basically start to weep from like shame and humiliation. And it's like he's watching another man hold his son for this baptism. And again, that face tattoo is like a scarlet letter. 
letting everyone know he's a piece of shit. <laughs> That's basically what it is. I it's know like, it is. It's sad. It's just he's like, marked, and he knows it. I think that's what is powerful about this scene because I think Cian France was saying that originally in the script he was supposed to like shake with rage and be seething, but it's not played like that at all. Oh no! And it's this yeah. sad scene. He just realizes that he's like that is true. It's like all these people with like these church clothes and. This joyous event, the uh, people welcoming this baby into the parish or whatever, and he's just like, literally. I mean, he looks like bought his clothes guy. from Hot Topic fifteen years ago. Yeah, he looks like a homeless guy with a t- with these terrible tattoos, like they're just drawn on. And now like, I do feel ink. like there would be girls in the parish that would look back and be like, you know, underneath that face tattoo, that looks like a pretty hot guy. <laughs> I would like to point out that. Mike Patton of Faith No More fame and about a 10 million other bands did the score for this film. Oh, well, that's one of the other things. I loved the music to this movie the first yeah, time I saw very, it. Very, like, haunting and sad, but hinting at something bigger. Right. Just underneath the surface. On, like, the I agree. verge yeah. of being epic or something. Yeah, it's really cool. And this does sort of feel like an epic movie in a weird oh, way. Oh, dude, it is an epic right. movie. I mean, okay, thank you. It's two and a half hour movie that spans generations. I mean, it's as, it's as big of a swing as you can take, and I think it works really well. We get a chance encounter between Luke and this guy named Robin Vanderhoek, played by the great Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, playing the Ben Mendelsohn role. This was <laughs> yeah. the role he was born to play, and he does so many times. Luke's riding his dirt bike in the woods, and I think Robin's on like a ATV or something. And this leads to Robin offering Luke a job part-time as an auto mechanic at Robin's shop. Really setting up for some great just like pull the lines from to put in the trailer, like their interactions. It's pretty clear to me, I think, that Robin kind of tries to take Luke under his wing a little bit because in addition to the job, he does offer Luke that trailer on his property as a place to stay. I mean, he clearly has some issues. Well, yeah, because this is all happening real fast. Right. It's like just because you saw this dude riding his motorbike in the woods. You're the best motorcycle rider I've ever seen. This somehow means he can trust him enough to have him living on his property. It's like, right. I don't really understand. He has a fucking face tattoo. I, I know. Is, well, I guess he was like, well, here's a guy I can relate to. Here's a guy that's been outcast by society like me. I guess that the role of Robin was originally written to be older, and he was supposed to like have dentures or something. And Ben Mendelsohn was willing to actually pull all of his teeth for the role. Jesus. And thankfully, the some of the Steve producers... Was like, uh, that's not necessary. No, he was like, all right. And the producers were like, no, 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 no. You can't do this. <laughs> and they, and then I think everyone kind of came to their senses later, but they were wow. like going to do it. <laughs> that is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> He's crazy. Yeah, that I is guess. crazy. Holy cow. And I guess he was calling... He calls like every director dad. So he was... He just started calling seeing friends dad like immediately well that's weird yeah that is real weird so robin and luke are spending although a lot imagine of time if together. it was eva mendez yeah i have imagined it <laughs> all right <laughs> don't worry about it so robin and luke are spending a lot of time together when they're not together luke is kind of brooding around town upset another man is raising his son at this point it's unclear it's kind of weird to find your place in town i feel like if you're luke it's like what do you do i know i mean he's just bumming around there's not much going on trailer working at at this shop that gets 
a lot of work, seemingly. Well, at this point in the movie, right after their first meeting and when he first starts to work for Robin, it's kind of unclear how much time, if any at all, Luke's gotten to spend with Romina and or the baby. Because we don't see any scenes with him yet with with them. So we don't know... I take it that they that he hasn't really after the church day. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think don't so. Know, right. He needs more money. He wants so badly to be able to provide for his son. He wants to be a real man. But, you know, Whatever he's kind of stuck is. in a dead end town with not a lot going on and Robin doesn't have any more money to pay him. So Robin suggests Robin. Yeah, he's banks. like, Have you seen how much business I'm getting? He says that he's robbed banks a few times a few years back. But that Luke kind of has a unique skill set. Kind of a fun way to learn about this. It's kind of a unique way to be inserted into a movie because usually you're just kind of thrown into the mix of just like, yeah, we're criminals. This is what we do. We rob banks or whatever. But the fact that he's just kind of like, yeah, I did it a few times. If you don't do it too much, you get away with it. Yeah. You got to stop when the heat gets to be too much. And of course, you know, obviously we know that Luke's got a unique skill set, not too dissimilar from his unique skill set in the movie Drive, but True. Luke balks at this at first, but then I thought this was kind of like a cold line of dialogue from Robin, because he goes, well, good luck supporting your family on minimum wage. (laughs) He immediately acts like a dick after Luke is like, yeah, I'm not doing that. He kind of uses that to leverage him, you think. I mean, he's kind of like using that to like guilt him a little bit into maybe getting what he wants out of this. But then later when Luke is kind of like, yeah, I want to just get money. I'm choosing my kid and my chick. I want to get money for them. Robin's kind of acts like, oh, you've made your choice. Like kind well, of. Well, yeah, like, but that's after he was arrested. True. <laughs> and the heat is on. Yeah, things are a little different at that stage in the game. Luke goes to see Romina at the diner. He makes his pitch about taking them on this kind of uh, cross-country road trip, like kind of a similar lifestyle to the one he was living in the circus kind of like a rootless yeah ladies thing. i mean anytime you get a pitch like this just walk away at this point because you're dealing with a dreamer here it's clear that she doesn't have much faith in him but she is kind of willing to hear him out it does seem that she's kind of at an interesting point in her life she's in a precarious position we don't exactly know the extent of her relationship with Kofi, like how long it's been going on, how serious it is. We understand well, she that she's at living house, at his right. house with her mother and that, you know, that's a big deal for her. But again, how much blame does she Yeah, she certainly doesn't put the this. kibosh on it. No. I will say this, though, and this is kind of important for this movie, because Luke's dream of freedom here, that life on the road, that is definitely echoed by the ending of the film. And I think something they were going for was that I'll, you'll see echoes of every scene at different points kind of replaying oh, in certainly. different ways. Yeah. Some are way more obvious right. than others, but... Almost exactly. Yeah. The e- very end of the film is connected to this scene, which we'll get to when we get to, but that's one of the cool things about this movie and it taking place over generations and all these different characters intertwined and all this stuff. Things tend to repeat themselves kind of in different ways so this encounter doesn't really go particularly well for luke so i guess it's time to rob some fucking banks <laughs> yeah he was just I mean, like all right well she's left me I with no it. choice yeah 
And I will say, don't they reveal at some point that his whole stint in this town was only like a month or something? I think they say maybe like a couple months. Okay. But yeah. As this sequence is going on, you feel like it may have been like it's been a little while. I could buy like a half a year or something. I don't know. It just seems like time is going by. Yeah, it's hard to say. But, but then you're when you do find out, you're like, wow, okay. It feels like we basically saw everything that happened in the time that he lived there. Yeah, that's the way I started to feel about it, too, was that you do kind of see it all and that it does go by very quickly, which is kind of what makes it such like this haunting thing later in the film that like his life. Well, we'll get to it. I don't want to like jump too far. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So the first robbery is intense, but successful. And I would say that it's kind of a genius move to have Luke use the motorcycle as the getaway vehicle and then to conceal it in a waiting box. Oh, for sure. When I first saw that, I was like, that's awesome. When he first goes into the bank, though, he uses that insanely high-pitched, screaming voice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which just really kind of catches you off guard the first time. Yeah, I think that took like a lot of takes to get to a place where he was screaming Felt in right a way about where it. the yeah. people actually were reacting like they were afraid of him. Because like, they used a lot of people as extras in this movie that were really just people that lived in Schenectady. Okay, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And. I think there were different points where they had some trouble getting real reactions from people. Oh, this was something I wanted to talk about, actually, going into the bank. When Robin is explaining the plan to him, and this is important because you realize that he doesn't do a lot of this stuff later, but they do this whole thing where, okay, we go into the bank, we check out the scene, you pick out the oldest, frailest woman or whatever, and that's the one you're going to go after. And he's like, if there's not a woman like that, then just pick the meekest person. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, would I be fucked if I worked in this bank? I would be the fucking guy <laughs> that got picked to like, be held up. There actually was a famous bank robber who utilized this method in his robberies, like the motorcycle into a truck, slammed the Okay, gotcha. His name was Carl Gugazian, known as the Friday Night Bank Robber, and he was perhaps the most prolific bank robber in U.S. history, robbing more wow. than 50 banks over a 30-year period for a total of $25 million. Holy shit, yeah. Yeah, something that crazy That is a successful like story. He's in jail now, but his sentence was relatively light. I guess they didn't get him for all these. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we see some real Ryan Gosling puke. Really? Yeah. Okay. A fun dancing in the dark. Yes, very celebration fun. Celebration right. scene. Just like smoking a bunch of cigarettes, drinking. I mean, get the vibe. Robin definitely doing drugs, right? Something. I, I yeah. feel like something's going on there. Yeah. They're kind of portrayed, these two, as like anti-heroes in the movie a little bit. But yeah, I mean, the, the reality of these people is pretty grim. Right. <laughs> Especially yeah. Robin. It's like, yeah, what the fuck's he doing? Well, that's uh, the thing. He's like robbed banks successfully in the past. And look, what, he basically like he figured out this life where it's just like, OK, I'm a criminal. I'm just going to rob banks for a little bit, just a little bit. Get some money where I can like buy a little bit of property, have like, a quote unquote shop and have this. This will be my life. I never have to answer to anybody, but I'm not really going to, you know, I'm not going to be living a life of luxury anytime. No, like I, I feel like and he's he lives there alone. Right. With a dog. I mean, what are even his aspirations to do with more of this money? For me, I'm just thinking that he's just going to buy like a bunch, a shitload of drugs. Probably. Okay. After the first robbery, Luke goes to see Romina again, and he waits outside of her work. 
And you can kind of just tell from her eye roll here, which she like kind of rolls her eyes when she sees him, that maybe she's still kind of into him because it's like this very, it's like a playful rolling oh, of the sure, eyes. for sure, yeah. She's clearly surprised that he's stuck around, which we talked about a little bit, that she expected him to leave, and then now he's stuck around and complicated things for her. Oh, she loves it. Yeah, so they fuck, and presumably he gives her money i don't know i'm assuming so. he starts you, to like do something you don't even see like what leads up to them having sex really right i mean you just get him to- waiting outside her work and then they kind of just cut to them being in the trailer yeah what a lady though huh he takes her back to that trailer and she's still in well i don't think she really was coming from much that's in true life. i think she is used to it their little scene in bed post sex Another really great scene from Eva Mendez. I think, honestly, she probably should have been nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. That's how strongly I feel about this. Okay. Maybe you should write a letter. Because this is the tell me about him scene with like the ice cream bit and him wanting to give the baby ice cream for the first time. So the baby will always associate with that. And then she's just like kind of at one point just starts like crying silently. (laughs) Does anybody have ice cream? I'm not it. You fucking kidding me. He's still a baby. Bullshit. What kind of house are you running? <laughs> no ice cream? <laughs> Why can't he have that? It's not like he can't have it, he just hasn't had it. Can I give it to him? Wanna give him ice cream? Yeah. I'm gonna do something with him that's his first time. And look in his face when he tries ice cream. Every time he has ice cream for the rest of his life, he's going to see my fucking face. It's such a brutal scene, really. Right. She cries silently. Crying silently, a lot what in the this listeners movie. are doing when they listen to the show. You know what? <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. The amount of time that I'm putting into these episodes. That's right. Now, yeah. It's crazy. You should just be grateful. All right. So this transition. <laughs> I'm going to start silently. Please. Crying. It transitions to the actual like ice cream stand. I don't know what you would call that. A store? A yeah, stand. it's just your normal ice cream place. And it's a sweet scene between the baby, Romina, and Luke. But there's also now, some real melancholy here. Kofi during this? Is there, do you think there's kind of like a, I don't well, know. I'm trying to let Luke be a part of the baby's life yeah. a little bit. Or do you think it's like fully secret? No, I don't know. I think... She probably tells him a little bit. Not yeah. that they had sex, no. obviously. But oh, no. I think she's trying to make this work in some weird way, even though everyone involved knows well, that like it really can't things. work. And I know Luke is now giving some money, but I, I'm sure Kofi has no idea about that. From Kofi's perspective, it's like, look, motherfucker, I am floating the bill here, okay? So how about you just hang out with me <laughs> and not this fucking trash bag motorcycle dude oh that's you want the bike in it too yeah just all you know say just capture the mood it's a nice bike the bike's part of the family you want another one you sure i should take it when she's crying okay (laughs) that's a good trick (laughs) so this leads to 
kind of a big moment in the movie, which is the photograph of Luke and Romina with the baby in front of the ice cream stand with the motorcycle. Derek Seen France's wife played the girl at the ice cream stand who takes the picture. And it's kind of just this great scene. <laughs> she, it's a great picture, too. She says, yeah, and it's real. She took it. Okay. That She actually took it in that moment. And oh, that's wow. The one okay. we see. I love the part where she's like, you sure I should take it when she's crying? Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, what a fucked up moment. Seriously. (laughs) Because, like I said, I mean, Romina can't stop silently crying throughout this entire movie. Yeah. Because I I think she's like, she's realized that she's got herself into a situation. This is heading for a a collision course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And she doesn't know what to do, obviously. Yeah, because, I mean, really, the real conversation where this was headed is, what are we going to do? Are we all going to live in that trailer with Robin next door? Is my mom going to live in this trailer with you? I know. There's no chance here. Right. Which makes you think that maybe she is more attracted to Luke and maybe likes Luke more, but she just knows that it's just not possible at this point. I don't know. I will say that the baby who plays baby Jason's name, real name, was Anthony Pizza Jr., Okay, well, that's important. So that the baby's dad's name was Tony Pizza. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. (laughs) So this happy, sad moment with Luke, Romina, and the baby ends abruptly with a jump cut to another robbery. Luke now really begins inserting himself into Romina and Jason's life moving forward as the robberies increase. Right. Because this is obviously... He's starting to feel empowered a little bit. Right, because now he's got, got more money because he's successfully pulled off a couple of robberies. This is all obviously complicated by the fact that Kofi is still very much in the picture. Romina, the baby, and Romina's mother are all living in his house, but Luke wants to be involved, so he just shows up with stuff for the baby, including a crib when Romina and Kofi aren't home. Just acting rather over the top here. This was not a good move. Yeah, I mean, you do have to maybe wonder if he knew where this was gonna go hey what are you doing i got him a crib and some toys yeah, this is really nice and all but you gotta you gotta get this out of here you can't just show up like this why because this is kofi's fucking house what? just get it out please he can't be sleeping in a bed he's gonna roll out and bust his head open he needs a crib what's going on You okay with this? I'm talking to you. You okay with this? Kofi, it's his father. In our house? You, you, you okay with him in our house? Shh. What are you doing here, man? Shh. You're making him proud. Don't shh me. You in my house, man. You need to pack all this shit up and get out the house, man. I don't know who you think you are just coming up in our life and changing shit around, but this ain't gonna work. You gotta lower your voice, man. Excuse me? Lower your voice. Man, can, you, can you step outside, please? Pack all this shit up and take it out, man. You're making the baby cry. You're making the baby cry. Pick this shit up and get it out the house now, man. I'm not fucking with you. Pick up all this shit, man. Fuck you, man. Coffee! Baby! Mommy! Coffee! Oh, baby! Baby! 
He's in the process of assembling the crib when they get back, and it becomes like a real weird standoff between him and Kofi. Yeah, it's Kofi's super just like, awkward. Enough. All right. I mean, I, I'm, I've been a pretty good sport about this all, but now you're in my fucking house building a crib. Right. Trying to take over here. Very similarly to some of the other characters that Ryan Gosling played in this time period, it's like this crazy the sort quiet of rage. explosion of violence, and he hits Kofi in the head with a wrench. Right. Here it's, we go. Eva Mendes spins a little bit on him. Well, yeah, because... Rightfully like, so. You're, You're fucking, fucking crazy! <laughs> it's just, it's so fast, and then afterwards so calm, and it's like, did Gosling like just corner the market? On these types of characters. I guess so, <laughs> In this yeah. time period, this explosive violence. But I will say that the baby was crying for real in this scene because it f- I guess it felt the tension you of what was happening. You would think that would happen. And then in real life, the baby bonded so much with Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendes that they when, adopted when him. The ba- yeah. When the baby stops crying in this scene, when Luke picks the baby up, that's just real. Like, the baby just stopped crying. Wow. Because it, it, right. it liked Ryan Gosling was, that this much. This movie was working on many levels. Yeah. I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. Yeah. So Luke gets arrested. Robin bails him out. Luke's all fired up when he gets out, and he wants to hit two banks in one day. But Robin says he's done. And this is where we get, you know, the big line, if you ride like lightning, you're going to crash like thunder, which turns out was an improvised line from Mendelssohn. And it's probably the most famous Wow, line yeah, I'm pretty sure that's definitely in the trailer. Yeah, it's like the big tagline. Really? really? Yeah. But Luke is, like, spiraling now because he knows that he's, like, fucked up beyond oh, repair. Oh, well, yeah. He did something crazy, and... How do you get back in? You can't, really. Yeah, I mean, he was in, almost. He goes to see Romina outside the diner again, and this time he gives her all the money he's got from all the robberies. I mean, he has to fight her to take it, basically. Right. But he wants her to give the money to their son. Obviously, this scene is echoed later by a different character. Yes. At the same time that this is happening, Robin dismantles Luke's bike in an attempt to save him from himself. Which makes you think that maybe Rob—I mean, Robin is a dirtbag, but he doesn't seem like the worst guy ever. Right. I mean, he's trying to save Luke from himself because so he that knows that this is not going to go well now. Yeah. Okay. I almost was just taking that as he doesn't want anything from the crimes getting like traced back in any way. Like, well, yeah, I think that's, back to that's him. probably part of it, but he knows that Luke is going to do like. I do will say, I mean, robbery. and I know this is like way ahead and we won't get into like the scene too much, but like, when he's in the movie later and he kind of is rehashing this, it is like so sad to me. He's talking as if the cops destroyed the bike, 
I thought about that a lot too, and I ultimately took it to be that they did take the rest of the bike. Okay. Because there was another bike. Oh well, the, the sec- one that he buys, the right. shitty one. Yeah. But the way he's telling that story, he's like, "Well, yeah, they were they were real mad at him, you know." <laughs> well, he doesn't know what to say. Right. I mean, what's he gonna say? Yeah. He probably doesn't know for sure everything that the kid knows. True. He doesn't know, so he doesn't know what to say, really. So the next morning, Luke robs Robin at gunpoint to get money for a new bike since Robin destroyed his bike. And so this all leads to the big solo attempt on Luke's part. It goes wrong right away. Yeah, everything just goes to shit immediately. The bank has tall glass partitions. Well, even like, which (laughs) ends up being important, obviously. He doesn't have his sunglasses, so he doesn't even have his face covered. Yeah, everything's fucked up. And he has a chance. He almost stops. Like, he's not going to go in with the sunglasses. He's like, oh, shit, my glasses. He, like, stops. And then he just goes for it. And it's like, yeah, then they have this giant glass, which was different than the other banks. Yeah, because the glass seals the tellers off from the public in a way, and this impedes his usual method of getting the money, and so more time is wasted. So it means the sirens are closer by the time he he gets outside. Then the bike he bought struggles to start, eating up more precious seconds. By the time he pulls out of the bank's parking lot, the police are right there and on his ass. And that's different from every other time, which he managed to make, like, great time. So everything's fucked. Which it is funny when there's that, like, lady teller, like, trying to throw the bag up over the glass (laughs) and just not making it. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) That part where he pulls out of the bank parking lot and then kind of goes through a little bit of traffic right there, that was, like, actually Ryan Gosling on the bike. And he, oh, wow. like, he did learn how to, like, ride the bike a lot and did not everything, obviously, not the crazy shit coming up. But oh, he did yeah. a lot of the stuff. Yeah, because that bike is, like, flying in a couple of these scenes. Some of the stuff was, like, a little unscripted, but it all turned out kind of cool-looking. So this leads to a big chase sequence, which eventually leads us to a cruiser with Bradley Cooper driving, and he becomes the closest cop to the fleeing suspect. Obviously, as viewers... It becomes like the perspective character, yeah. Yeah, as viewers, we know something important is happening with this new character because we know who Bradley Cooper is. Yeah, right. He's not just some random cop. We will eventually find out that Cooper is playing rookie cop Avery Cross... Avery picks up pursuit of Luke through the back streets of Schenectady. Luke is a flat rear tire on his bike at this point. He just wipes a feeling out. of dread. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just a matter of time. Right. You know, he wipes out, and then he's on foot, and he retreats inside a random house. He ends up cornered in the house. He goes to an upstairs room and shuts himself inside. He calls Romina. He asks her never to tell Jason about him. It's all building towards like There's a like a brief, moment. it feels like he's going to take these people hostage, and then he's just like, just go. He's accepting that this is Yeah, the I end. mean, because I think they're not trying to turn Luke into like this horrific villain by like involving innocent people. Now. Right, yes. I mean, he was never really violent. Well, obviously he was to Kofi, but, you know, to just random people or anything. He wasn't like, you know, right. going to put these people in danger. And then... It's obviously important that Avery is a rookie because he kind of botches this, obviously. Luke, inside this room on the phone with Romina, is sitting in an open window because he opened the window, I guess, to see if he could jump out, and it was, like, too high. Yes. So then he just sits there, and he calls Romina, and Avery bursts in and shoots Luke in the stomach, causing him to fall out the window to his death. As Luke's falling, he gets a shot off, which hits Avery in the leg. Yeah, it's all very quick. 
Avery definitely shoots first without warning. But the bottom line is, I mean, the first time you see this movie, you're like, what the fuck? 51 minutes into a two hour and 21 minute film and Ryan Gosling's character is dead. And he is not only dead, super dead laying on the fucking sidewalk. And this real fucked up. It certainly was not marketed like he was not the star of the movie. I mean, true. Correct. Yeah. You're like, whoa, (laughs) already. here. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So this kicks off what is essentially part two of the film, which, as we talked about, was like a three act thing. The middle part is the shortest and they definitely had to trim the script down. And this was the part that got hit the hardest because it kind of veered off into a whole police corruption thing that ultimately didn't have much to do with the rest of the story. But right. So Seam France wanted to tell three stories, but thought the real challenge was to do so in a linear order and to never deviate from that linear structure, meaning no flashbacks, no it keeps jumping building. around, anything yeah. like that. Because... That was something a little bit different than what people were used to with this kind of epic sprawling thing. Just going in one direction time-wise the entire time in a weird way was like very different from what people were used to in that time period of the 90s into the 2000s and... Yeah. It just wasn't what people were doing. Like this is much more of like a 70s style way to tell the story of just like Well, yeah, I, I can definitely remember just feeling like this was a very unique way to present the story when I saw this for the first time. I think normally this exact script would be presented in a way different way. I think you would be jumping from the kids back to and they you it may even take you a while to realize who's who and the connections or whatever, right. but it would be jumping back and forth a lot. More like the It style. It, well, the novel, yeah. And Luke's character wouldn't be dying 51 minutes into the movie. Oh, no. They would be saving that for the end, which would sync up with the end of the other stories or whatever. But anyway, C in France always wanted the story to move forward because the story is about legacy, lineage, and what we pass on. So it's like if you were jumping around, it kind of clouds that as being the purpose you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. If you're jumping back and forth, then you're not getting the idea of like one thing leading to another thing, leading to another thing, leading to another thing. It's distorted by you jumping around in the, in the right. story. Right, and it is, I mean, it's weird how it kind of seamlessly transitions into Bradley Cooper's movie. Yeah, so Avery is married to Jennifer, played by Rose Byrne, popping up in kind of a small role here. Originally, it was going to be Greta Gerwig, but she had to drop out due oh, to wow. whatever reason. Like Luke, Avery also has a very young son. In the aftermath of the shooting, Avery's treated like a hero, but, I mean, clearly there Carries is... Carries a lot of kind of shame over Yeah, this. he has remorse. I would say there's like a, a heaviness to his character almost right off the bat. So, you know, he's not just buying into this hype that's surrounding him. Right. Clearly. Yeah. But at the same I mean, time, even, you know... I mean, he's kind of combative with the police right away when they're basically trying to say, like okay, you need to tell the story that we need to hear about what happened. He feels like strong-armed a little bit. Well, he's also afraid to say the wrong thing. You know, he may have this remorse and there may be this heaviness, as I said, but he still doesn't want to admit what really happened. Right, and it gets, like, fairly intense, like Bruce Greenwood or whatever. I don't know. Is he the district attorney? Yeah. That ratchets up their first conversation like pretty quickly because he's just like asking him what happened. And then it kind of goes to like, you know, don't fuck with me. Do the right thing here. Yeah, it's weird because I think in reality, it doesn't matter who shot first. The fact that he was still holding his gun. That's what I was always thinking. Right. 
But, you know, it does turn into like a Han Greedo thing. I don't know. Like they do make it like this big deal about <laughs> that's like the first. conversation the police are having. I think, you know, suspension of disbelief, you can kind of see what they're going for, that there's a little bit of a smudge over the facts as to what happened. Yeah, but right. Luke doesn't have any real family. There's no pressure from anyone to do this any certain way. Romina is the daughter of an immigrant. She's living unmarried to an African-American man in a predominantly white area. I mean, there's How no... How hard she would even And Kofi for... obviously isn't going to be fighting yeah, for this yeah. anyway. So it's like there's no one that's standing up for Luke anyway. There's really no controversy over this. He was a bank robber. He got into a standoff with a cop. I mean, there's, you know, no one's going to second guess this really. Yep, but sounds, he but uh, the guilt is still present for Avery. And Avery comes from this weird, not weird, but kind of this big pedigree. I mean, his dad is a former state Supreme like, Court judge. judge. Obviously, the family connections, it kind of furthers the idea of fathers and sons, which we've already briefly mentioned Luke well, mentioning yeah, his I father. Mean, it's kind of this whole backstory with him that's mentioned like a few times that his wife and his dad don't even really want him to be a cop. It's like he went to law school and he feels like he's doing this kind of honorable thing by starting his career as like a, a police officer. Clearly, they want us to understand that he's overqualified. And as you said, there's a little bit of turbulence there with his wife over him being a cop. His father, too, but the wife thing kind of comes into play later because yes. they'll end up being divorced. And the whole thing with how Jennifer is feeling post-shooting, they don't get spend a ton of time on it. It's not like a huge thing, but... You know, obviously, this event has caused a ripple effect through lots of people's lives. And we're oh, kind absolutely. Of, at the, in this moment, we're seeing it for Avery's family, because obviously Jennifer doesn't want her educated, overqualified husband out there risking his life in situations where people are shooting. And yeah, she's like, you've got a kid. Right. I love Bradley Cooper in the counseling scene kind of stammering and stuttering and saying nothing. Well, that's like know. a sad scene, too, and it kind of, like, I guess gives you a little insight of the next however many years with his son, but it's, like, their relationship. I, I think you're supposed to take that this was something that kind of went on, but he's like, I've been having a hard time, like, looking at my son yeah. since the event. Yeah, I mean... And it's kind of this thing that happens, and you're just like, wow. You think... Obviously, things are not great for his son. It seems like he has an interesting life. This is one of those moments, too, in films, which I think people overlook sometimes, and, and I think even filmmakers and people involved in the process of making film don't always take as seriously as they should, because this woman who plays like the psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever she's right. supposed to be, just so good in this scene. Oh, I agree. And she barely is in it. She only has a couple lines. But she feels like a real... And she, I think they did cast like actual cops as cops and actual judges as judges in this movie. So she may actually be like a police psychologist oh, okay. or something. But I don't know. But I don't know. She probably is an actress. But yeah, I mean, this scene is so good. Have you been replaying the incident in your mind? Not really. Mm-hmm. No, I just try to, I'm trying to put it out of my mind, I think. Does that work? Yeah. You think you're ready to go back to duty? Yes. Would you want yourself as a partner? Absolutely. What have you been thinking about since the shooting? Not much. Um, 
<laughs> has everything's been so crazy, you know, with the rehabilitation and the work and everything at home. Mm -hmm. Everything at home? What's happening at home? <clears throat> well, I'm there now, <laughs> which is much different. Who's uh, at home with you? Um, well, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, my wife, and uh, my boy. Mm -hmm. So there's, um, you know, it's it's been hard on my, my wife. It's a shock. Mm -hmm. And then um, it doesn't help that there's a, a you know, baby around. But it's okay. I mean, it's okay. What do you mean it doesn't help that there's a baby around? Well, I just mean with everything that's that's going on, I'm just trying to 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 get all this in order uh, uh, before I can take care of that. It's been hard. I've just been so busy that it's been hard to. Uh, I have, a, I have a hard time looking at my son. Mm-hmm. And that's something new since the shooting. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I saw in the police record that this perp also had a one-year-old son. His name is Jason. You been thinking about this? This, you mean, the fact that he, he had a boy? Yeah. Do you think you're having a hard time looking at your son because you're thinking about this other little boy that won't have his father? I will say that his stammering and stuttering and all that, it, it reminds me of us on this, on <laughs> Doing this podcast. Doing this podcast, yeah. yeah. Just like, uh, uh, A lot but, of, um, like, sadness in the things that we're saying. Yeah, I mean, the takeaway, obviously, and you touched on it, you know, he says he can't look at his son, but the takeaway... Oh, that part is, like, so fucking real to me. It just feels like that's something that's not really in... I feel like it's not really, like, explored in movies a lot, but, like, just the idea of this dad who, like, just can't look at his son. It's just so sad. The takeaway here is that Avery is racked with guilt. And, obviously, he can't help but notice the parallels between Luke and himself, at least as far as being new fathers to young boys and this whole thing. You know, obviously, you know, he maybe didn't handle the situation great, and then he does, in at least in the context of this movie, go out of his way to like protect himself, you know. Oh yeah. In the aftermath. Now we, as we said in real life, he it probably wouldn't have been a big deal the way that he did it, but whatever. But at the same time, he is taking this like the psychological hit of this is weighing on him like so much that it makes him seem like a much deeper character than you would normally expect for somebody like this. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's almost as if he understands that the differences between him and Luke are just a matter of fate, really. On some level, he I could have had a face that, tattoo. That, like, Luke's father and... Darth Vader. <laughs> Luke's father and... 
also Avery's referenced father, in the movie. Who's to say like one wouldn't have been born with the other? Well, you know, it's just the fate oh, yeah. of who you right. who you end up with and why you end up the way you do or whatever. And he he realizes that he's now fucked somebody else's life up, even if he doesn't really have a choice. Because it's not like I don't really feel like Avery did anything that was like super wrong. No. But something happened, and now this other kid is not going to have a father either. And he's obsessed with it pretty early on. He's asking the cops, oh, he had a boy or whatever. Right. And they don't want him to And they're like, don't worry about, about that. Yeah, yeah. They're like, don't think about it, whatever. Okay, so the fellow cops, including Ray Liotta, show up at Avery's house. Ray Liotta also playing the Ray Liotta role. Just a slimy... They wrote this for Ray Liotta, and when they told him that... It, you know, he was like, I'm not surprised. No, because like, I think C in France and one of the producers, like both of their favorite movies was Goodfellas. And they're like, well, why don't we come up with something for Ray Liotta? Like, why don't we write him a character into this movie? And so they told him this. And then he goes, well, why the fuck isn't the character bigger than <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> he's, he's great in some brief scenes. This scene is so unbelievable when they show up and they have that super awkward dinner with avery and jennifer just so much tension with jennifer and oh like yeah the spaghetti and well, you think thing. that yeah she's not really happy that uh she's not happy she's not happy about anything well she's not happy ever but well, i mean well like, that's what i wrote here i just wrote nobody is happy in this movie well that's true yeah at any point there's nobody can be happy i know it's really yeah a good portrait of just kind of life in general but i mean <laughs> Really, though, Avery just completely burying her by being like, yeah, let's bring these fucking three men in for dinner. These creeps. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're obviously scumbags. The other cops take Avery. Copland. Yeah, the other cops take Avery to Romina and Kofi's house in order to illegally seize the stolen money from Luke's robberies, which you don't even know if How Kofi know. is aware of. Well, yeah. Well, they just are guessing. Right. And they turn out to be right, but... You don't even know if Kofi knows about this money. I mean, it's just a stack of cash that is conveniently like hidden in baby Jason's crib. But I would say like a great moment here between Avery and Romina when he just kind of slinks in behind the other guys and he says, sorry for your loss. And she just stares at him. Oh, yeah. Until Kofi eventually pulls her away because she's obviously recognizing him from tv and the newspapers or whatever and she knows it was him who shot luke yes it's, it's just like this real raw moment well it's there. very uncomfortable i mean obviously like, these cops showing up is super imposing because well, it's illegal well yeah they basically <laughs> are just like well i'll tell you what you pretend i have a warrant and i'll pretend like your mom is like has a green card right yeah <laughs> it's rough yeah so the money as i said was hidden in the crib and of course it ends up being avery who picks up and holds baby jason while another cop retrieves the cash so this is like whoa yeah mentally things have now gone from bad to worse for avery he's just going through the motions pretending to be this hero already feeling guilty over what happened to luke and now here he is taking the money from romina not as evidence but for himself to keep and i mean it's a lot (laughs) yeah what did they give him like five thousand dollars or something I think seven. Seven thousand. So that was yeah. half of the money. Right. I think it was supposed to be like fourteen or something. Like okay. That. Yeah. He ends up getting himself transferred to the evidence room because he can't go back out. I mean, he was shot in the leg. It's like a whole thing. He comes in with big ideas of where he's going in his police career, and the yeah. chief kind of shuts that down pretty quick. 
at some point he goes through the evidence of the Luke Lanton thing and he finds that picture from the ice cream place in Luke's bag and we just see him look at it. So that's kind of like, all right, yeah, that picture is still like a big moment in this movie. Oh, yeah. We talked about the scenes echoing each other in a scene that directly parallels the time that Luke fought to give her the money in the first place. Avery waits in his car for Romina to come out of the diner. It's like drizzling rain and he tries to return the money. She's obviously afraid that she's being set up or something and she's not having it. Well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's so it's super weird. I mean, the way he's acting, he's like, I'm not, I'm not not here as a cop, cop. I'm just here as a person, (laughs) like, I just, I just think you should have the money. So he's like, all right, well, that didn't work. So now he, next he tries to give it to the chief, basically turning in the guys that he went with. And he, he, the chief doesn't want to do that. Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? So then he sees the chief talking to Ray Liotta. And so he thinks like, oh, this scene is so good. (laughs) Yeah, it's so bizarre. Right after he talks to the chief, then he sees the chief talking to Leota. So then he gets in his car and he's leaving. And then I guess like Leota is in a cop car and he pulls know, him over. Pulls him over to like get his attention. The first time I watched this, this whole like little part I thought was like so tense. And it, the way it builds and the way it finishes is like so perfect because you really didn't expect it. <laughs> Leota and these other two guys are trying to recruit Avery to like do some dirty shit for them with evidence or whatever. And so that's what he says he wants to talk to Avery about. And he's like, follow me. And then he's like leading him deep and deep into the woods. And you're like, what the a- fuck? And Avery's what? getting freaked out. And obviously the tension in the scene is, is he going to fucking murder him? Or yeah, what right. Fuck? That's what it feels like. <laughs> they go all the way out in the woods and then Avery panics and backs out. He just throws it in reverse and just flies back out yeah, of the woods. Right. And you don't know what the fuck's happening. He t- ends up talking to like this other dude Avery wears a wire and gets this other guy on tape explaining exactly what he wants him to do. It's, yes. it's it, We don't even need to get into it because, like I said, this whole part of the movie was supposed to be a lot longer and more involved because when it cuts to what happens, you're like, wait, all these – what is the, what is No, this? I know, right. But so basically Avery wears a wire to bust th- some crooked cops. He uses the evidence as leverage to secure, secure a spot for himself as an assistant district attorney. It kind of comes off as, even though what he's doing is kind of right to put these corrupt cops away. The it's fact very that he, self-serving. Yes, and move. it comes across as very slimy. Right. He's basically like, look, I have, I got this evidence on my own. It kind of feels you like you do what I want, or I'm going to take it to the press. Right. And it kind of, and it, yeah, he's using it to get this position, and it, and it, it feels like he's kind of sold his honor at this point. A little bit, yeah. I mean, to be fair to him, though, he did try to take it to the chief and True. do the right That's thing right. first. Yeah. And they didn't have anything to do with it. And then we cut to 15 years later, and this is the part three of the film. It and star- you're, you're like thinking, like, okay, I think we're on the downward slope here. M- meanwhile, this part is like almost an hour. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to spend as much time on it as we did no, the No, it's certainly my portion. least favorite of the three. Yeah, I think it is. I it's, think it's important. It's the hardest to get accustomed to because... Now, at this point, you know, Gosling's been out of the movie for a while now. Even Bradley Cooper kind of takes a back seat, and the the emphasis is much more on the kids now. But I would say that as far as, like, packing an emotional punch, like, these were some of Certainly. the biggest moments, yes. though, coming up. So it opens on Avery's dad's funeral. We find out that Avery and Jennifer are now split up. He has their son, AJ. Who I just find to be the most hateable character well yeah he's got a lot of issues one thing i will say though is rose byrne is this guy's mom 
question mark. Right. I think she's like 11 years older than that guy in real life. <laughs> I was just like, they didn't age Rose Byrne up a minute. Well, it's in even this like part. that dude that plays Ryan Gosling's son is like actually like way older than you would have thought. I think he was. I can't remember which. I think he was the one that was 22, and this dude was like 25. Right. Or okay. Like that. Yeah, they're way old to be in high school. It's kind of dumb, but whatever. It's the way it goes. So Avery's now running for the district attorney of New York, and his son wants to live with him now. So even though Avery doesn't seem like he really wants it to happen. He's like, oh, my God, this is just not a good time. Yeah. AJ's going to come to You get the feeling like there's never a good time. No. As you said, AJ's kind of this unbearable character, but I think the idea here is that his front is masking like a lot of pain. I mean, obviously, oh, totally. As you talked about in the uh, counseling session, I think we're supposed to get that he feels unwanted and unloved. And he has that moment with the guidance counselor at the new high school, and he's making it seem like his dad wants him to move in. You know, it's like really oh, pathetic. Oh, yeah. Even Rose Byrne kind of makes a comment of like, I think he needs to come live with you or it's just going to it's going to go off the rails even more than it already is. Which, yeah, she seems like kind of a, a diminutive woman. Like she's very small. I mean, it's like, what? how the fuck is she handling this? Yeah, no kidding. Creep. And obviously the dad has nothing to do with him for the most part. So it's just like, what's she doing? I mean, her life has probably been a nightmare for the last 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> You know, one of those kind of things that happens in movies that's just kind of movie magic or whatever. He just immediately befriends Jason. I guess it's, uh, he picks him out. He's like, oh, you look like you do drugs. Well, he has that marijuana thing on his backpack. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Something tipped me off. Neither are aware of their father's shared history. They bond over getting high and then they immediately get busted for buying X. And in a weird way, it's like Jason's troubles here with the law mirror his father's, whereas AJ has the family connections like his father Avery. But here we go. It's like you see that police chief again briefly and it's like now he, you know, answers to Avery kind of. Not as his job, but like Avery's like, yeah, can these cops that arrested them? He's like, yeah, they'll sit on it if I tell them to or whatever. So now he's using this kind of police corruption to his right, benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these things echo each other right. from different yes. points in the movie. It all comes back. Avery shows up because his son is now arrested and he recognizes Jason's name and he's like, oh, what the fuck? How did this happen? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> You've been in town for five seconds and right. now you're arrested with this kid of and all And I kids. actually love this part like when he goes in to talk to his son. Dad, I fucked up, and, and and I know you don't have time to deal with this stuff right now. Let him, okay? What? I want you to leave him alone. All right? Okay. Why? Wipe that fucking smirk off your face. You hear me? I want you to leave that fucking kid alone, all right? Look at me. Look at me. You wanted to come live with me, right? You think this is easy for me during this time? Huh? I'm trying to make this work. I'm doing it for you. You can have anything you want, but I don't want you to touch that kid. You leave him alone. Jordan, fucking stand me. Say yes. Yes. Look at me and say yes. 
Yes. As hateable as I find AJ, if you are AJ, like after this scene, you'd be like, what the fuck was that about? Well, yeah, because it's very strange. Obviously, he squashes his son's charges completely, and he does pretty much get Jason off the hook, too. But he also tells AJ to leave Jason alone, and it's very intense. Yeah, he's sort of imploring him to. But the phrasing in this scene is so strange that well, like, yeah. if we know why he's saying the thing. Well, that's saying, what I mean. If you're if, from yeah. AJ's perspective. He says, don't touch that kid. Not leave that, that kid. kid alone. Yeah. Not him. It would definitely be eating me up, preying on my mind. I'd be like, what it's, the fuck was that about? Yeah, and like, what what's so mean? great about that kid? It's like, I just met this dude. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he just thinks. He seemed like a dirtball. Yeah, maybe he just thinks that his dad thinks that he's trash. There's like an insinuation that's just like, yeah, you're a loser and you're going to ruin your own life, but don't ruin that kid's life. Yeah. It's not like a high view of AJ in this conversation. I don't know. I didn't get the vibe that it was like a negative view of AJ. It was just more of just whatever you're doing doesn't matter to me as long as it doesn't involve him. (laughs) Good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Just don't involve him. Well, yeah. Which is just a weird way to approach this whole thing. Romina and Kofi return to the picture now. And unlike Rose Byrne and Bradley Cooper, they really tried to age Eva Mendez up with the gray kind of in her yeah. hair. And she kind of looks a little And older. I mean, I, I will say with this kid, Jason, it's like the scenes you have with Kofi and uh, Eva Mendez, it, it feels like a very loving family home. Oh, I definitely think it is. And I do think that that's important to note that it's not necessarily about that. It's not that yeah, I know things were wrong with what he had. It was just that there's this... There's an emptiness and... Yeah, I mean, there's something sometimes you can't put your finger on. It's just, it's just there. But overall, of like the two kids, I feel like Jason, while certainly there's a criminal element to his life a little bit with the drugs, and he seems like he has some connections to the Schenectady yeah, I mean, underworld, like, but overall, he seems like... The nicer of the two kids, generally. Right, and it's hard to convey things, though, in a two-hour and 21-minute movie. Like, this isn't a 10-hour Netflix season, you know what I mean? Like, we don't have time to spend maybe... Because clearly Romina had a second kid, which we don't really see a ton of in the movie. I think she only ends up being in one scene. I think they originally had her for more, and then they had to cut it. You could kind of make the leap that because that's Kofi's actual daughter, you know, not that Kofi's a bad guy, but just things that creep into a a kid's mind. Like, well, I'm not really the loved one between the two siblings. Yeah, and they've never given him the real story. Yeah, and that obviously is bothering him, too. So, yeah, it is like he didn't even know his name. Yeah, Jason picks this moment in time to really get serious about asking about his dad. And Romina either can't or won't talk about it but he does get kofi to at least give up the name he's reluctant towards it too but it it does feel like this is something where and this is ends up really sending jason's story on like this downward spiral but it's like this comes from kofi just kind of trying to do a a good thing you know yeah i think on some level even though obviously kofi and luke didn't get along and had their thing i think on some level he understands that not telling him is just going to cause him to be angrier and angrier. 
So the implication is that this arrest that happens with AJ is not like the first time that something has happened. Okay. So right. he's been having all these problems. So I think Kofi, in an attempt to smooth out the waters a little bit, is thinking, well, maybe if we just give him this information and he can find out for himself the truth, he'll realize that his dad was a loser or whatever. This is where he's headed. Something. Maybe it's just a man thing. You just like, you know, a guy should know this. Like, a man should know this. And maybe Romina is misguided. I don't know. Who knows what his motivation is? But he does tell him. And this, of course, cue a Google search. And now Jason knows the truth about who his bi- biological father was and what really and happened. And who killed to him. him. Yeah, he knows the whole story. Although he, we don't actually see him seeing oh, a picture until right. he goes to see Robin. In one of the articles, Robin's name comes up and Jason goes to see him. It's kind of a cool moment that Ben Mendelsohn like re-enters the movie, which is kind of unexpected. Yeah, I would agree. And Wouldn't he, have thought he would have not still much been has alive in yeah. the 15 years. Right. Kind of just still doing the same uh, thing. I guess like never too much investigation about his involvement. No. Because I, I guess, guess not. They, the never, police I guess they were, never knew. The police he, were never led to believe that there was two people yeah. involved. At Robbins, he sees a picture of his father. He sees a picture of Avery. He steps inside the trailer, and it is really like this kind of passage of time. And this is like when everything was like really hitting me, and it was like this whole thing with Luke, you know, his father was just this blip of time. Oh, right, yeah. And yet you can tell that like Robin loves this chance to talk about it. Yeah. And that it meant so much to him. And that it was like well, it this, such this big thing that happened. It's like, but it were was you friends so with short. my dad? He's like, yeah, I, I would say we were. Yeah, it's really <laughs> only like two months, but like, yeah. I mean, for Robin, who was really just a sad, lonely <laughs> character, I mean. <laughs> I was thinking Robin was living the dream. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you could certainly make that argument. Going into the trailer, stepping in the same footprints, basically, that his father left all those years ago, and he puts on those. Goofy sunglasses. Those sunglasses. And that part where, like, Robin says, yeah, you're calling him back, and it cuts into that part where he's riding his bike. Yeah, and it's the same shot, basically. Yeah, that score is playing. Oh, man. That's good. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a little teared this up right like now. This is, like, great, great filmmaking. I'm looking for Robin. Yeah, I'm Robin. What can I do for you? Um, I was hoping to talk with you about Luke Quentin. I'm his son. Uh, Luke Quinn's son? Yeah. Well, come on back, get a beer. Daddy's down here in this box. If I remember rightly. Don't, don't start there. I'll show you good things. I'll show you good things. Come on. You were standing right where your dad used to stand and we used to talk. He was a good guy. Your dad. Oh, wow. Yeah, those. 
those glasses. I haven't seen those in a long time. They're, they're his, those goofy glasses. These were his? Yeah. You keep those. He would have wanted you to have them. Was he good in anything? Yeah, he was the best motorcycle rider I've ever seen in my life. Best. Yeah? Best. Never seen another one like him. Best. He was like nothing. Where? You guys good friends? Still got his bike. No, his bike's gone. Yeah. Police took it. I think they cut it up. They were angry with him. I know that. They were real mad with him. I can show you some other things too if you want to see more. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you put the glasses on? For sure, he would have said they were left there for you. No doubt. Put them on if you want. Go on. Put them on. Come on, I'll tell you. Yeah. 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 You're calling him back. <laughs> Despite the fact that Avery slammed AJ's head into the wall and actually gave that actor a concussion. Oh, wow. <laughs> actually, I think the kid that plays AJ had two concussions in this movie. Oh. It's like a CTE, <laughs> yeah. Chris Benoit situation. Intense filmmaking. But despite all of that, AJ still invites Jason to a party and wants him to bring oxys. And this is crazy. Yeah. So uh, It's kind of hard for me to buy a little bit that Jason feels. I mean, I, I guess... He lost the money or whatever, but it's just like, dude, we both got well, arrested it, over Yeah, this. but it like, seems like maybe he didn't really have any friends. And AJ's just one of those dudes that, like, I think everybody knows is a douchebag, but he just projects that he's cool. Yes. And in high school, sometimes that kind of works. Right. He seems kind of popular already, and he talks to Jason, and Jason didn't really seem like he had any friends. Yeah. Or prospects with chicks or anything, so... No. He's like, all right, well, Which I Which somehow turns around at this party. Yeah, well, everybody's Which, fucked up. Yeah. But, like... I didn't even write it in my notes, but yeah, there is that scene where he steals the oxys from a pharmacy. Has the backpack, ha rides away on the bike. Yeah, it's obviously echoing his dad stealing them at the banks. Although, in reality, oxys are like not, you can't just get them off a shelf. No shit. They're locked up. But <laughs> the point still remains, though, that it looks cool. Which, but like, I do love these kids like do pretty hard drugs. I mean, it's like he's buying ecstasy and, like, I mean, these kids in high school are getting ecstasy and oxycontins and like, when the kid goes to, like, give him out at the party, every high schooler is in for doing oxy and drinking. I'm just like, Jesus, these kids. <laughs> we, well, Jason's able to buy a gun pretty easily later, too. That's true. Jason successfully brings the oxys to the party, and he gets pretty fucked up. And he's, he's making out that chick. He sees the picture of Avery. It's a framed picture on the wall. Which, by the way, real quick, too, that chick just really, like, going for it with him, too. I mean, she's making comments like, do you see a ring or something? <laughs> which is weird to me. That I don't she even says, remember that. Yeah, which I guess the implication is, is like she's not married, <laughs> which is like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> You're like 17. 
so obviously he figures out from the picture who AJ's father is, and so shit really hits the fan. Oh, that's what I was, wanted to say about it, though. It's like he sees it, and then they're still making out for like a little while after this. Yeah, he's like trying like, to ask the girl. He's like, "Is that AJ's dad?" Right? She's yeah, like, and I don't she's know. like, "Right." And I mean, I will say this: I understand this was like a jarring moment for him, but it's like this chick seems pretty hot, and I mean, wouldn't you be able to put it out of your mind for I don't like know. a little while? I mean, he's He's really hung it's up on this big, right now. It's been a big emotional couple of days. Yeah. He just found out all this shit about his dad. He went to see I this feel guy like that used to rob banks with his dad, basically. I, I, I don't know if anything would distract me in this moment. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, again, obviously two hours and 20 minutes is a long time for a f- feature film in the s- theaters and stuff. But if this was like a longer thing... You could maybe get more into the emptiness and like his life and yeah, kind of right. why you this gotta is like so important to take him. a lot out of it quickly. Yeah, you kind of just have to roll with like this is a big deal and this means everything to him right now. So Jason picks a fight with AJ and ends up in the hospital because AJ beats the shit out of him. Cut to when he leaves the hospital a couple days later, presumably he runs away from his mother after the hospital stay and then he goes and buys a gun. He goes to AJ's house, assaults AJ. We don't actually, they ended up cutting. You don't know what happens. Yeah, they cut that out of it because they thought it would be cooler to, to like leave not. leave it unknown. But that's when this dude that plays AJ got another concussion from like the pistol whipping or whatever. He Is that, like hit him with yeah, because I something. guess that you're just supposed to assume that he. Yeah, because you see him, him later. Right. With like a nurse or somebody. Headband. Yeah, like, they're like bandaging Head wound. As that's happening with AJ, Avery comes home and Jason takes Avery hostage in Avery's own car. They drive out into the woods and this is obviously an echo of the scene with Ray Liotta 15 years earlier because it's kind of the same road Yep, into the same generic looking woods area and it's kind of like tense avery like kind of yelling at him but well, then he first eventually... he's like very like timid and then I, I that part always sticks with me where he starts asking about like is my son okay or whatever and he's just like and then he just like yells like is he <laughs> or so and like the kid like jason like jumps back you know you're like it's like holy shit and obviously he doesn't know what he's doing he's not a hardened criminal really he doesn't know well what yeah it's happening Eventually, Avery just kind of breaks down sobbing, and he keeps saying, I'm sorry, Jason. I'm now, so this sorry. Part, I will say, of all the emotional things in this movie, I don't feel like the delivery of the I'm sorry sob- through the sobbing, to it doesn't play well for me. I feel like they needed to build this a little bit better. I think so, I too. I think the moment is the fact that Avery knows his name and seems to know who he is, is what freaks Jason out. But you don't actually feel that in that moment. I agree. Yeah, it doesn't play right. right way. Because you're like, oh, like in retrospect, you realize that that's what happened. And that shouldn't, I think you need to feel that in the moment where yeah. you're like, oh yeah, this is a big moment because he knows who he is and he's revealing that he knows who he is. Yeah. To, to Jason. Because I think that's what happens, but you, it's kind of It's unclear. hard to piece together. It seems like he kind of leaps to like the tears and the I'm sorry is like a little bit quicker than you expect him to. They just needed to like hit that moment of him saying his name and then Jason's reaction to it in yeah. that exact second. So they right. knew that that was the thing that because at first you're kind of just like, oh, he's freaked out because now he's crying and saying well, he's like, sorry. And even before that, though, like again, like with the intensity of it where he's like, is he? But then also he's just like, you want my wallet? 
He's like, you want my jacket? He's like ripping it off and like throwing it at him. I mean, it feels like he could take control of the situation. Yeah. In, in a way, I guess like the anger is kind of just a front because he knows that he's been living with this guilt for 15 years. And it almost like he feels like this was inevitably going to happen yeah. in a weird way. And he's now afraid for the first time for his son rather than for himself. Right. Which is kind of like a big moment because that you can trace that back to that counseling session and everything that's happened in between, even, you know, AJ wanting to live with him and him not really wanting him to. Like everything has kind of been fucked up, but now he's almost redeemed because he's caring about his son more than anything else at oh, that yeah? moment. Because he's afraid that in retribution for killing Jason's father that Jason has killed his son instead of him. So and he doesn't want that to have happened. So Jason takes the wallet, he's walking away with it, and then the big weird reveal here when he's i don't know if it's weird i thought it was great well i think it's great <laughs> but i think it's weird I, I mean i think it's weird if you're fucking jason okay so let's say what it is he opens the wallet and the photo of him as a baby with his biological parents eating the ice cream the one taken at the ice cream stand from that yeah big moment has been folded up in avery's wallet ever since he took it out but of that's the just such a weird thing room. to think about how many wallets has avery gone through and I, it's just like he's keeping this picture in his wallet. All right, the logistics of it. Not like you're keeping it in like a safe or something or in your garage. He it's has like it with it him always. Your, well, right. I think you couple that with the fact that he knew Jason's name and it dawns on Jason maybe a little bit that, that it wasn't some asshole cop who just killed his dad and never thought about it again. And didn't care. Oh, yeah. In fact, Certainly not. it was like the biggest thing that ever happened to him, and he's never gotten over it. And so in a weird way, that can maybe give Jason a little bit of peace because it adds like a little bit more gravitas to the thing, yeah. to, to a life that, you know, ended. We kind of jump ahead some unknown amount of time. I don't think it's supposed to be very much time, but Avery ends up winning the election for the district attorney of New York. His son is on hand at the victory rally. It kind of is talked about on a news clip or something that basically they just say it's an unidentified person. Who broke into this. Right. Neither one of them. I we guess is, he told his son again. He probably slammed his son's head. Into yeah. The wall. It was He's like, like, don't fucking tell don't on him. Don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> He is kind of just assuming that Jason is at peace with everything and he's not going to come back yeah. and be pissed still. Kind of a dick move here. I don't know. I don't know. What do you feel about this? So Jason mails the picture he found in Avery's wallet to his mom. Yeah. So presumably, A, he's been missing for days or weeks at this point. It's hard to say how much time passes. Yeah. And B, what do you think? Is this fair to Romina to pull a move like that? To not only to run away, which is one thing, and just be gone, but to be like, hey, here's this. I don't know. It's But it, doesn't it kind of feel like the way it plays in the movie? Like it's kind of a happy thing? I don't think it's supposed to be happy or sad or mean or anything. It it's just, just is. It is. Well, I guess part of it is she's kind of been living very shut off. Not only was she keeping it from him like the past with Ryan Gosling's character, but it, it's almost like she's been denying it. And he's like, here, look at it. <laughs> I mean, her reaction to it is kind of, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's very subtle, but it's kind of a beautifully shot moment. It kind of drizzling again. Everything seems to come full circle. It's kind of like maybe the message there is we can have this family with Kofi and everything has moved on. But maybe it isn't the best idea to just 
deny the past. Like, this is something that happened, and I should have known about it. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it is kind of just this big moment. And like I said, I mean, when you actually, like, think about it, think how briefly she knew Luke, really. Yeah, and the things that spun out of it. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like this spider web, you know, whatever of things that come from one moment in time and then... And then um, you have one more scene, right? Yeah, and similarly, f- as kind of a bookend situation, kind of as the beginning was one long shot, this actually is like all really one long take of Jason approaching this farmhouse okay, yeah. or whatever, and he ends up buying this motorcycle. Which is like, yeah, there's not, there's only one bus out here, and I'm like, I can't believe there was any bus mm-hmm. out there where he is. I mean, it seems like they're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I guess buses do go to places like that. I okay. mean, you know, not a lot. But yeah. Jason ends up buying a motorcycle with the stolen money from Avery's wallet, and off he goes. Which I guess the, the, one of the things passed along from fathers to son is just the ability to drive a motorcycle. This comes directly from seeing France himself, which I mean, I probably would not have been smart enough to pick up on. But, you know, this is obviously an echo of Luke's dream that he had said to Romina that oh, one day yep. in the diner about just going off and living like a freedom yeah. Life. Now and it seems like it's gonna be a tough road for Jason. Obviously. Yeah. You know the the logistics of this are not great, but <laughs> you it, know he's it ends on a high note. Cert- though. It he, feels like it, th- a it's good supposed thing. to be like a an escape from all of this bullshit that's kind of led to this moment. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it, it's like shedding this legacy that he's lived with unknowingly. I guess. I yeah. Don't know. I just wanted Sounds to point out right. though. A quote from Robbie Cullen from the Daily Telegraph in his review of this movie, and he he called it great American cinema of the type we keep worrying we've already lost. I would agree with that, and it's like there's just so very few movies that come out that you feel like. But are yeah, the whole point though of that sentence is like we already we've worried we've already lost them, and then we get them, and then people don't really pay that close of attention to it. It's impressive that they pulled this off for the budget that they did, and it just it com- it comes off so much better than you would even think. I it know, should, and really. like I said at the top of the show, I mean, just to kind of bookend my thoughts on this. After I saw this movie, I was like, "Damn, I am like so in on Derek C. in France," and it's like, again, a light between oceans. I think it was a PG thirteen movie, a which I'm like, "Come on, boo." Yeah, which I mean, I was like, "This I mean, guy, it had Alicia Vikander in it." Yeah, and it? I mean, she looks good. She looks good. <laughs> But, I mean, it's like this guy can do a nice rated R movie, you know, (laughs) really getting dark on it. So, I don't know. I mean, I still have some hopes. I think that this is the type of movie that when you make it, you probably shouldn't do another movie for like seven or eight years. And the fact that they did one so quickly, like a couple years later, like a normal director. Like, this is the type of thing that you need. Like, you shouldn't just rush into another project after this. Well, yeah. Because it's like, what are you going to do that's going to even get close to this kind of scope? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, he w- it was like adapting a novel, the last one. So it's just like... Yeah, get out of here. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I didn't even see it, so I don't know. I mean, it's not bad. It's just, it, for, it wasn't Blue Valentine and it wasn't Place Beyond the Pines. I remember after we saw Blue Valentine and... I think we may have been kind of still working on the old podcast. Oh, the yeah. The original movie one right. we did back in the day. I can remember when we were first hearing about this project, and it just was this kind of vague crime epic spanning generations called Place Beyond the Pines, starring Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper. And you're like, oh, man, this sounds like incredible. Yeah. And it, it definitely lived up to it. I would say that. 
Not a lot of people probably what you were picturing though. A lot of people I think were shocked at Ryan Gosling dying so early in the movie. I remember that actually being a conversation I was having with people being like, Oh, I heard Ryan Gosling dies early and I'm like, Yeah, he does, but it's still cool. <laughs> like trying oh, yeah, to like right. justify the movie still, but like I, people I, I did have a hard time I, with it. I can't really remember talking about this movie to like a lot of people. You weren't running in those circles. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I remember I mean I can remember saying to people that it was my favorite movie of the year when people would ask me like what movies but I mean uh, most of the time they would be like, Oh yeah, I haven't seen that. I think it did reasonably well. I think it did. A, it made a profit. Yeah, I'm sure it made a profit. Yeah, so yeah it certainly wasn't a bomb or like unknown. I just feel like a lot of people kind of just went past. Yeah, well, that tends to happen. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I would say that watching it recently, which is probably like the fourth time I've seen it or something like that, it really hit me the hardest this time. I really loved it. So watch it four times. Yeah, on your fourth time. Please. But this was a long one. Thanks for hanging in there with yeah, us. Speaking of epic, I would say this movie required the treatment that it got. We gotta be, we're running out of Matt picks here. We're going to get back to the regular show. I know. I keep trying to get you <laughs> the regular <laughs> show. Well, I keep trying to get you to resubmit some new picks. I, just, I, gotta, I just haven't been into stuff lately. I in gotta, your life. Well, yeah. <laughs> I got to get back into stuff. I would say that right now we are in the peak of this podcast yeah this i'm into the podcast yeah follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on itunes thanks for listening
As far as I can make out, edgy occurs when middle-brow, middle-age profiteers are looking to suck the energy, not to mention spending money, out of the quote-unquote youth culture. So they come up with this fake concept of seeming to be dangerous when every move they make is the result of market research and a corporate master plan.